Welcome to Insight, the insurance news podcast hosted by me, Andrew Sorkholz. In this week's latest edition of Insight, just like last week's edition and last year's edition, La Nina is on its way out. And just like last year, it has a sting in her tail. Listed broken groups are reporting good results again off of the hard market. And cyber threats are an unexpected side effect of the terrible situation in the Ukraine. Well, hello, everyone. On a bit of a downer of a podcast, it's a debut for senior journalist Miranda Maxwell. On our panel today are editor John Deeks and senior journalist Benice Han joining Miranda. Hello, Miranda. Good morning, Andrew. Some listeners have suggested that they've never seen you and Terry in the same room at the same time, and you make your debut while he's away. How do you respond to the allegations? Well, I couldn't possibly confirm or deny. Oh, very good. Hello, John. Hello. Have I gone too far with that one? <laughs> I don't know. Wait for the reader feedback and then we'll decide. And it's hello to Benice. Hi, good morning, everyone. So, Benice, just like last year, just as La Nina was on its way out, we've been whacked by a major flood event. Tell us what's happening in Queensland and New South Wales. Yes, so a flood disaster has hit parts of southeast Queensland and northern New South Wales. And as we speak right now, flood rescue operations are underway in uh, northern New South Wales where thousands more homes are expected to be affected by what's been called a rain bomb weather event. So this rain bomb first hit southeast Queensland and then it moved south to New South Wales. And in Brisbane, it's been estimated thousands of homes have been flooded. Comparisons have been made with the 2011 floods, which cost insurers more than $2 billion. However, the Insurance Council of Australia, or ICA, has said it is too early to estimate the insurance damage. Uh, this is because many affected property owners remain in, in evacuation centres and floodwaters continue to rise in some areas. The ICA on Saturday declared a catastrophe for Queensland and extended it to New South Wales yesterday. And IAG has this morning provided an update. The insurer says as of this morning, 5 a.m., it has received about 6,700 claims across Sprint. And uh, NRMA represented nearly 73% of the claims so far. And it expects the number of claims to rise in the coming days. Well, that's extraordinary. John, just how big an event is this going to be? Well, from an insurer perspective, it's hard to tell just yet. As Bernice says, a lot of people are, have not returned to their homes as yet. Floodwaters haven't receded yet, so we can't tell just how damaging this event is. However, it's not looking great. In Lismore, in New South Wales, it's a record-breaking flood. If anyone's seen the pictures from there, you know, the water's up to people's rooftops and, you know, this event exceeds similar flooding events that, that took place in 1954 and 1974, I believe. In Brisbane, of course, it's not reached the heights of 2011 yet. So you could speculate that it won't be as bad in Brisbane, but it's hard to tell. Last year's flooding event, which also hit New South Wales and Queensland and was declared on March 22nd last year, Currently on the ICA website, it says claims are up to almost 600 million from 58,000 claims. And you would have to think this event is, is, is fast heading in that direction and may even exceed it. Well, John, none of these areas would be covered under the um, cyclone reinsurance pool. But some of the things that we've talked about as far as risk mitigation that have been discussed uh, should come into play here. Is there anything that we can learn from this? Well, as far as the pool goes, this isn't a cyclone. So... 
it wouldn't spark the the cover under the reinsurance pool, as I understand it. Is it because it's a rain bomb and not a cyclone? Well, yeah, the the, the cyclone reinsurance pool is quite specific. It relates to cyclone damage and cyclone related flood damage and and this is not that so that doesn't mean of course that you know premiums in these areas would would wouldn't see a reduction as a result of the pool that they may well do but yeah I, I suppose what we can learn from this is that these severe weather events are happening in some areas they're more severe than they've ever been and as we know recently the ICA flagged the issue of spending money on making this country more resilient as climate changes. And this kind of event, I guess, as unwelcome as it is, as as upsetting as it is, does give credibility to those arguments because something needs to be done, obviously. Well, in a story that most publications in the world would lead with, we watch in horror as war returns to Europe. It goes without saying, we all hope the crisis can be resolved quickly, but the insurance industry could be impacted by these events in Ukraine, couldn't it, Miranda? Yes. AM Best is actually saying insurers might take a substantial hit from this invasion. A big concern is that it will worsen the inflationary pressures that are already worrying central banks. Russia, as we know, is a major supplier of energy, and also commodities such as wheat. So the price of those goods will increase and that will affect bond spreads and insurer investments and balance sheets. And it would also impact claim costs and it may even threaten reserve adequacy. It won't be good for the underwriters and reinsurers of large energy and infrastructure risks and economic sanctions will impact the ability to underwrite Russian risks or make it more difficult to service claims on existing policies. Perhaps most worryingly, it won't be good for the cost of cyber cover. It will almost certainly add to the hardening in that market, especially as the risk of a systemic cyber attack and substantial losses grows. John, an increased cyber threat is not going to help insurers get the cover they need, is it? That's right. As regular listeners will will know, we've spoken a lot about cyber lately because while the general market is stabilizing and prices aren't rising as quickly as they were previously. That's not the case for cyber. And a spate of ransomware attacks has forced insurers to push rates up sharply and be far more picky about which risks they take on. So much so that some businesses that don't have really substantial risk mitigation in place won't be able to get cyber cover at all. And yeah, as Miranda says, the experts are saying that this conflict uh, makes major cyber incidents more likely uh, still. And that means that this hardening could could just get even worse. It's a random buzz there. Was that a, was that a Ukrainian uh, hacker trying to get into this podcast? True confession, Andrew. That was my hairdresser leaving a voicemail. That's quite, it's quite the debut, Miranda, quite the debut. Well, Benice, um, listed broker groups Steadfast, AUB and PSC reported results last week. How are they going? Yes, um, so based on the halftime score, they're doing very well indeed. And it seems like they just coasted through the pandemic disruption better than expected. So um, they have all raised their full year earnings outlook for FY22. And let's start with Steadfast. Um, underlying net profit was up about 26.4% to 76.3 million in the six months to December. At AUB, similarly, underlying net profit went up 16.7% to 30.6 million. And at PSC, 
Also on an underlying, underlying basis, earnings are up 61% to 27.6 million. So a lot of their optimism has to do with the current pricing environment. They believe rates will continue to harden in the coming months. So Statefast is predicting that rates would rise about 5 to 7%. And AUB says it expects about seven to nine percent in Australia. Yeah, so all good, all good for the three uh, leading major broking networks in Australia. Well, in case you hadn't heard, there's a federal election coming up, but this time, John, the insurance industry is determined to get its point across, isn't it? Yes, that's right. It's really the most vocal that the insurance industry has been in the run-up to an election, at least as far as I can remember. The Insurance Council has put out a very detailed document calling on the next government to do a number of things. Obviously, top of the list, as we've already mentioned, is the spending on resilience measures for natural disasters. They want to see $200 a year spent by the federal government and that to be matched by states and territories. And that would be a doubling of effectively what's being spent at the moment. And as we said, we, we are seeing serious, severe weather events hit Australia on a regular basis and insurance premiums becoming unaffordable for some as a result. But this document contains an awful lot of other requests slash demands as well. ICA wants action on insurance taxes, which is a state-level policy, but they say that uh, the Insurance Council says that the federal government can use its influence to help get change in that area. They also want better land use planning so that we don't build homes on floodplains anymore. They want the building codes to include a measure for resilience. At the moment, they don't. They also want the regulatory reform process to change so that it's more in line with that of the UK and financial services firms get much more notice about the changes that are planned in future. That's quite a list of um, demands, a number of them quite logical. Will it work? It's hard to say. I mean, a lot of these measures, and I have only given a handful out of, out of, out of the full list, but a lot of these measures we've been talking about for years and years, and they, and they haven't happened yet. But with things like the resilience spending, you do get the sense, and the ICA mentioned this a while ago, that there is a shift in thinking around this, that the politicians are realising that they just can't put this one off anymore. There's real world impacts, as we're seeing, uh, on, on both communities and the insurance market that just need to be tackled. Well, our insurance tech section continues to go strong, Miranda. Can you tell me what the data decision gap is and why I should care and insurers should be worried about it? Yes, I can. It basically refers to a huge wasted opportunity. It happens when data sets are inaccurate or incomplete. That means insurers struggle to fully trust the data and then they don't make full use of it in their strategy. It was a term coined by analytics firm Quantexa after it found the majority of insurers don't take full advantage of the astronomical levels of data available to them and even more data is available to them as COVID pushes everyone online more and more. Yet Australia's insurers are using outdated data management practices and this means they lack customer insight. That's the gap. So they struggle with interpreting, analysing and leveraging that data to drive high-quality decisions and this gap means they're missing out on creating personalised services and also on accurate detection of fraud because data technology can spot fraudulent claims earlier, 
identify policy abuse and prevent internal fraud and also pay more legitimate claims. So you might say it's not the size of the data, it's what you do with it. And finally, John, the latest Insurance News magazine is about to land in readers' inboxes or mailboxes. Give us a few highlights from this edition. Uh, Yes, well, the the jewel in the crown, so to speak, is probably our our survey of industry leaders, which is becoming a bit of an annual tradition at the start of each year to look ahead to see what the next 12 months holds for the industry. And so we sent a series of questions around to leaders in insurance, reinsurance broking on issues like the state of the market, climate change, insurance affordability, government intervention through pools and mutuals and things like skills shortages, which are hitting the industry as well. And yeah, it turned into a really interesting read. So I recommend that one. We've also got an in-depth piece with Steadfast Robert Kelly talking about the network's homegrown IT systems and the benefits that they bring. And as International Women's Day approaches, we take another look at the insurance industry's gender pay gap and talk to women on the front line about what needs to be done. We're, we're always talking about this, but the problem's not solved, unfortunately, so so we'll continue to do so. There's plenty more, but I, I won't tell you about all of it. Just go on our website in a, in, in a couple of days. We should have the online version there, and those that subscribe will be getting their copies landing very shortly. Thanks, John. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's Insight podcast by Insurance News. Thank you once again to our panel, John Deeks, Bernice Han, and Miranda Maxwell. Enjoy your week and thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at editor at insurancenews.com.au. We value your input. You can read all these stories and many others at your leisure at insurancenews.com.au. You can subscribe to the Insight Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, and all your favorite podcast platforms now. We look forward to catching up again next week.